0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey book lovers, my name is M and I want to talk about books and cats. So today I'm talking about another short story and it's kind of sticking with our spooky Halloween month. I want to talk about The Jaunt by Stephen King. So The Jaunt is a short story that was originally published in the Twilight Zone magazine in 1981 and then it appeared later in his short story collection Skeleton Crew. So let's talk about the plot. In the future, humans have developed a form of instantaneous teleportation called the jaunt the jaunt enables colonization of the solar system. Mark Oates and his family are being transferred from their home in Schenectady, New York, to a new posting on the Mars colony. As his family prepares to be jaunted from the Port Authority Terminal in New York City, Mark entertains his two children by recounting a tale of the discovery and history of teleportation. He explains how in 1987, an eccentric scientist named Victor Caroon accidentally discovered the jaunt after years of research when he accidentally teleported two of his own fingers. Although the jaunt functioned perfectly when he tested inorganic objects, he discovered a side effect on the mice sent through his two jaunt portals. The mice would either die instantly or behave erratically before dying moments later. He eventually concluded that they could only survive the jaunt effect while unconscious. Mark explains that this is why all people must undergo general anesthesia before using the jaunt. He spares his children the gruesome account of the first human to be jaunted awake, a condemned death row murderer. After 13 other inmates were jaunted under the effects of anesthesia, he died of a massive heart attack after emerging, living just long enough to utter the cryptic phrase, it's eternity in there. Mark also omits mention of the 30 people who have jaunted while conscious, voluntarily or otherwise, each time they either died instantly or emerged insane. He elaborates that it's theorized that while physically jaunting occurs nearly instantaneously, to a conscious mind it lasts an eternity. One is simply left alone with their thoughts in an endless field of white for what is suggested to be possibly anywhere from hundreds to billions of years. After Mark finishes his story, the family is subjected to sleeping gas and jaunted to Mars. When Mark awakens, he hears his wife scream. His curious son Ricky has deliberately held his breath while being administered the anesthetic, and experiences the jaunt conscious. He has been rendered completely insane. Ricky shrieks, it's longer than you think, Dad, longer than you think, before clawing his eyes out as he is wheeled away from his horrified family. So this story left a huge mark on me. Once again, I started reading Stephen King when I was probably, like, way too young to be reading Stephen King. But Skeleton Crew was one of the earlier books that I read, And it was an introduction to this whole different way of writing, and I absolutely fell in love with it. The jaw in particular made such an impression on me because I just loved, I loved the idea of the story, and then I just love the way Stephen King writes. And especially his short stories. I think that short stories are harder to write in some ways because you have less time to, you know, tell this whole complete story and get to your point. And I feel like Stephen King does that really well. In some cases, I think it's better than some of his books because some of his books have a lot of, you know, like chapters of introduction before you even get to anything really happening sometimes. So so according to the Wikipedia page for The Skeleton Crew, the jaunt is actually being made into a feature film by Plan B Entertainment, which is Brad Pitt's production company, with Andy Muschietti set to direct. I might have said his name wrong. Um, the first article I saw on this was from 2015, and I was like, well, did it happen? Um, but a newer article from 2019 said it was still under development, but it's difficult to expand a short story into a full-length movie, which is definitely true. I'm tentatively excited about this. I will probably watch it, and I will probably be disappointed, because I love the story so much, and I've had those images in my head, you know, for most of my life. So, maybe I shouldn't watch it. (laughs) Uh, speaking of fantastic stories that have been made into, meh, movies, another story in The Skeleton Crew is The Mist, and that one, you know, I was looking at the list of stories, there's 22 of them total, and some of them, honestly, like, it it includes the Milkman series, which, if I'm being honest, was not really my favorite um, of his writing, but then it also has the stories that made the biggest impression on me, and that I still kind of compare all all writing to, but especially short fiction. So my personal favorites from the skeleton crew, in addition to the jaunt, are The Mist, The Monkey, Mrs. Todd's Shortcut, and The Raft. This collection is incredible. Like I said before, I read these really early, and they gave me a taste of what like, a truly interesting story could be. Because up until then, I'd been reading a lot of stuff, you know, for school, and you're just kind of forced to read it, and it's not necessarily interesting. And most of it's, you know, it's written grammatically well, but story-wise is not super exciting. So it was really exciting to devour all of these short stories, and they were so, so well written that they just terrified me and amazed me. And... Yeah, they've left an indelible mark on me. I really think that is why I write scary stories. Stephen King is definitely a huge influence. Um, I'll put a link to my author page in the show notes if you want to check out any of my work. There's also a bunch of kind of weird sort of fantasy sci-fi genre um, plays for middle and high school students on there. So that's an interesting balance, writing plays for kids and scary books for, well, let's say adults. Most of my stories are definitely more geared towards adults or adult readers. Um, I have a new story coming out. It should be available in the next couple of days. uh, That's called Annie is Not Okay. And that story, there is a little bit of violence, but it is not graphic in any way. And there's no language. So that's actually one of my, you know, so this one could be read by a slightly younger audience, although I write scary stuff. Like, I'm I'm not expecting young kids to read it, although I was one of those kids. <laughs> so the other nice thing about Annie Is Not Okay is that from now, or when it comes out in a couple days, uh, until November 7th, all of the proceeds from its sales are going towards my Do Good Deeds November. So... If you decide to buy my story, which I would love because I would love to hear feedback on it, um, know that your money is going to go towards helping other people in need in November. I'm still not sure how that's going to go. It's going to really depend on sales and what I can do, but I'm looking forward to it. So now I'm going to take a quick break and I will be back in a minute to talk about the origins of Halloween Creatures. We're sticking with our spooky month, and uh, these are kind of interesting, so stay tuned. Hey guys, Em here. Now, I'm not a makeup person per se, I don't pay a lot of attention to my face, but lately I've been noticing some changes to my skin, and it could use some help. I was looking for a quality product that was affordable and simple. I didn't want anything super invasive or time-consuming. I decided to try Athea skincare products. Uh, Their products are fantastic. I've been using the Retinol Night Cream, which is an anti-aging moisturizing cream, and I love it. It's light, and my skin feels really good and soft and moisturized. Athea has a lot of great skincare products and makeup as well. All of their products are created with an active woman in mind, and they use natural ingredients and are cruelty-free. You can check out Athea using the link in our show notes, and you'll also be supporting the podcast, so it's a win-win-win. Use the code Athea F C E Q to get 15% off. That's Athea, uppercase A, little Thea, T-H-I-A, little F, and then uppercase C-E-Q. That's also in the show notes, so you can just copy and paste it. Treat your skin to some pampering, and keep it looking healthy. And show some love for our podcast. And we're back. So now we're going to talk about Halloween. Because Halloween is the best. And it's only a week away now. How crazy is that? It is the end of October. So this is an article which is actually on readersdigest.com. Reader's Digest always makes me think about my grandmother. I think she had a lot of them at her house. I don't know why. I haven't seen a Reader's Digest in a really long time, but they have a website. And I'm going to post a link to this in the show notes in case you want to check it out. And this article was written by Tina Donvito, and it was updated October 15th of this year. Okay, so let's start with vampires. Vampires. So vampires started in Slavic folklore with the idea of the dead drinking the blood of the living. This was in order for them to explain contagious diseases that they didn't understand. If someone in the village died and then someone else became sick, it was blamed on the deceased coming back to harm them. Grizzly rituals were performed on the body to stop them from preying on the living. This practice of desecrations was also later done in Western Europe and even America to quell supposed vampirism. It really became popular when the Irish author Bram Stoker wrote his 1897 novel, Dracula. It was inspired by this folklore, and also, allegedly, the brutal medieval ruler, Vlad the Impaler. And it brought vampires into the mainstream. Countless Dracula movie adaptations and new bloodsucking characters keep being created, and I don't think the story of vampires is dying out anytime soon. All right, moving on to Zombies. Now, modern zombies are not very smart, and they're easy to kill, for the most part. Their sheer numbers can overpower and then consume the living. But the origin of zombies, while a little bit less gory, is just as horrific. Slaves in Haiti developed the idea as a metaphor for the brutal conditions they lived under. This story was incorporated into the voodoo religion of the Caribbean, South America, and the southern United States, and even had some basis in fact. Voodoo practitioners called bokors were said to employ a deadly neurotoxin called tetrodotoxin that can actually inflict a temporary death-like paralysis from which the subject will later awaken. There's been many modern interpretations of the zombie, starting in 1968 with the film The Night of the Living Dead, and continues with today's The Walking Dead and various other zombie stories. All right, mummies. So the ancient Egyptians preserved bodies and buried them with all the goods they would need for the afterlife. The idea of a mummy's curse, in which misfortune would befall anyone who opened a tomb, gained popularity during the Egyptology craze in the 19th century, after the Rosetta Stone's discovery unlocked the ancient Egyptian language. A 1912 article from the Washington Post even blamed the sinking of the Titanic on a mummy's curse. But it was the discovery of the undisturbed tomb of King Tutankhamun in 1922 that really gave the curse of the pharaoh life especially after the expedition financer died from blood poisoning a year after the tomb was opened. There are less stories out there, movies and such, that feature mummies, um, except for, of course, The Mummy, and there's the original starring Boris Karloff, and then, of course, the ones with Brendan Fraser. Let's move on to ghosts. So the notion of ghosts is as varied as it is old. It comes from the idea that people have souls that are separate from their bodies and thus live on after death, occasionally sticking around to haunt the living. Ghost sightings have been recorded since the ancient Roman times, and according to modern surveys, almost half of Americans believe in ghosts, with only one in five actually thinking they've seen one. Now, no one has yet to prove that ghosts actually exist, but anyone that's come in contact with one definitely knows they do. Alright, up next is Demons. We think of demons as creatures of the devil that can possess people, as shown in the 1973 film The Exorcist. Modern-day religions still allow for the demon's existence, and priests actually perform exorcisms to drive the evil spirit away. But the notion of a dynamic between good and bad creatures, such as angels and demons, goes back to ancient times, and demons are present in many different religions. Because they can tempt people to do bad or selfish things, demons also function as a metaphor for the dual nature of the human existence werewolves. Poor, tortured werewolves. They don't want to change into a beast because they know they will wreak havoc, and yet they are powerless to stop the change. These shapeshifters are as old as mythology itself, and they feature in stories from many different cultures, from ancient Greek tales to Nordic folklore. Wearing the skin of an animal in order to sneak up while hunting may have also become a way to scare other tribes and create more werewolf legends. The werewolf may also have a scientific basis. Rabies, for example, could cause people to go on wolf-like rampages. Witches. So witches originally came from practicers of a pagan religion and were deemed witches by Christians. They were mentioned in the Bible as thought to do the devil's bidding and harm others. During the Middle Ages, the hysteria about witches grew and up to 80,000 suspects were killed. Then the trouble started in America with the famous Salem Witch Trials, accusing 200 people of witchcraft and leading to the deaths of 20 in 1692 and 1693. Today, witches have a much more positive place in society, thanks to movies like the Harry Potter series. And modern witches just practice Wicca? Or a nature-based spirituality? And modern witches are more seen as harmless and peaceful worshippers of nature, as they should be. The Headless Horseman. Ooh. Now, the Headless Horseman appears to be an actual piece of folklore, but in reality, it was the creation of an author. In the 1820s, the legend of Sleepy Hollow, Washington Irving came up with the tale of schoolteacher Ichabod Crane, who had a run-in with the creepy figure and was never heard from again. Lending authenticity, Irving wrote the story as if it had been discovered among the papers of a fictional historian. Irving was probably influenced by German folklore of headless riders that also appear in Irish and Scandinavian mythology. Plus, one historical account tells of a Hessian mercenary being decapitated by a cannonball at the American Revolution. Although the village of Sleepy Hollow was originally fictional, Irving stayed in and based his tale on a real section of Tarrytown, New York, which was actually renamed Sleepy Hollow, and added even more legitimacy to the story. Frankenstein's monster... Now, this one also came from a writer. This is from the brilliant Mary Shelley, who is said to have been inspired to write her now-classic novel by a ghost storytelling challenge while on vacation in 1816. As the original intent of the book, mad scientist Victor Frankenstein and his jumble of human body parts creature now stand for the fine line between what science can do and what it shouldn't. Clowns. Oh, clowns. It wasn't until the 19th century that clowns started getting a bad reputation. Edgar Allan Poe's 1849 short story "Hop Frog" featured a court gesture out for revenge, and the 1892 opera Paglikia, I don't think I said that right either, features a murderous clown. But the modern notion of evil clown came to real life in the 1970s with the serial killer John Wayne Gacy, who performed as a clown. Stephen King, who we mentioned earlier... And his classic horror novel, It, also capitalized on America's newfound fears. And then it's been followed up with every type of scary clown you can imagine. And if you haven't seen, I think it's called Wrinkles the Clown on Netflix, watch that because that is fascinating. So that is most of the creatures on this list. The rest are kind of uh, more basic like Halloween costume type creatures like skeletons and you know, black cats and bats and stuff. And I think we all know where those come from. I mean, we all have a skeleton. So I am going to put a link to the article in the show notes if you want to check out the rest of the list. Um, But I thought that was pretty fun and a nice cap to our spooky episode number three. So that is it for this episode of M's Books and Cats podcast. Follow me on Instagram and send me your book suggestions and funny cat stories. You can email me at books.cats.pod at gmail, or you can message me through Instagram, also books.cats.pod. And be sure to check out my new story, Annie's Not Okay. I'll include a link to that in the show notes as soon as it's available. And until next time, keep reading.